Okay. Superhita incoming. Fat Roll Sports, episode four. I'm Connor, and I'm feeling great. I beat whatever the hell was trying to kill me. Uh, they might have won the battle for a couple days, but I definitely won the war. I'm feeling great. But that's about, really, that's all that's going on with me. So I guess we can get into what we're going to be talking about. I got a little MLB talk, just a smidge. Going to talk a little bit about standings and home runs and things like that. And then we got the NBA, seven and eight spots. Like what teams clinch those? And then we got the playoff talk, matchups, all that good stuff. Then we're going into the NHL playoffs, which is a little more advanced in their series. So it's a little meat, a little more meat on the bone. Some of those series are already finished. There's some that are far from far from finished that are one like one game away, or I should say some teams that are far from winning, I should say. So like there's like some three one series like that. And then we got the close ones, which are like two and two, one and one. Those are the fun ones, but we'll get on to we'll get on to that later. Get a little Julio news. This one kind of breaks my heart. But uh, I'll leave it for that later. And some fantasy football talk for for real this time. I don't plan. I'm not flexing this time. I did it myself. So uh, we'll see how it goes. Then we got some in, some PGA Tour major talk with my WTF does that mean to help out on that end. And I guess that should just about do it. And we can get on to some baseball news. Okay, so for the MLB, we just have some light news today. We'll start off with Aaron Judge for the Yankees dropping a dime for a good old-fashioned grand slammer to complete the sweep on the White Sox. It also included a no-hitter for the Yankees and now puts the San Diego Padres in first with the best record, so they didn't really move. And then the L.A. Dodgers are at two, but basically tied with the Red Sox, who are at number three. And the Tampa Bay Rays snagged that four spot, so the five spot goes to the Yankees. After the said sweep, which I know is a lot of teams to put before that. Just wanted to get the standings out of the way because the standings are always eh for me because they change pretty much every day right now. Like tomorrow, I'm pretty sure the Tampa Bay Rays are supposed to be in first. So it's just, it's ever changing. So what's really getting me going is the continuation of all these home runs. Seems like every game I'm watching is going to eight or seven points for one team, if not both teams or more, and that's just, it's so much fun to watch, it makes you want to keep watching, thinking that there's going to be another one, especially when it delivers with another home run, so that's really important to me as a casual fan, and also like the sixth or seventh no-hitter this year, which was the Yankees, one they just had against the sweep, in the sweep, so it's great for the game, because just so happens, both those things are the best part of baseball. And it's even better when your team is the team putting up 20 runs against the team. And I guess that segues me into my next point, which Ronald Acuna Jr., he is unbelievable. I can't, I can't, he's unbelievable. He's going to win the NL MVP. Um, he's abs- he can't be stopped. His bat is hot. It always has been hot, but this year it's just, it's really on fire. So I guess Ronnie, Austin Riley, Ozzie Albies, Dansby, and even Marcelo Zuna, 
they're all bringing me so much joy as a Braves fan and even as a casual of like the game of baseball. Um, it feels like you could honestly lump those five together and it'd be half the league's home runs and then half those halves would be Ronald Acuna's home runs. But I guess that's about all the rambling that you have to hear from me about the MLB. So uh, we can get into some NBA playoffs. Okay, so to tackle the NBA, we have quite a bit of meat on the bone. So we'll start with the 7 and 8 people, the ones who won the play-in tournament and got those spots in the playoffs. We'll start with the number 8 Grizzlies. They had to beat the Warriors after narrowly beating the Spurs two days prior, and the Warriors being basically a one-man team. And that one-man team being Steph, they took it to the last shot in OT and snagged that 8 spot in the West. It was a great game, honestly, to christen the start of the playoffs um, as the last game of the play-in tournament. But still, for round one, they take on the number one ranked Utah Jazz, which I guess my outlook for this one isn't anything crazy. I have the Jazz winning this series in five because John, John Morant can't stop Donovan Mitchell no matter how hard he tries, and I only give it to them in five because Mitchell was out with a sprained ankle for game one. Even though he was really pushing to play, they kept him out. Um, He'll probably be smart in the long run, hopefully, if it ends in five. And Gobert fouled out pretty much for the whole fourth quarter. So it resulted in a dub for the Grizzlies. So they lead it one nothing right now, but I guarantee that that will change very quickly. And the next spot, the next number eight spot, was the Wizards. They lost their first game against the Celtics for that number seven spot. So they played the Pacers, who got the dub in their 9-10 game. But the stakes were not high enough for the Pacers, and the Wizards whooped them by 27, which is another great game to christen themselves, I guess, into the playoffs. And they're going to need it because they're taking on number one, Philadelphia 76ers. They have MVP candidate Joel Embiid and also the the projected defensive player of the year, Ben Simmons, meaning the 76ers are ready to run it back for the fourth straight year with a team that's built to win now, along with winning game one, which is making it more hope ah, which is making it more hopeless for the Wizards series overall outlook in my mind. But the underdog gods are definitely real and they strike with a hot fury. So I'll at least watch the second game and maybe the third just to really make sure they're not dabbling in this series. So without any voodoo, you should look to see the 76ers take that spot in the next round. Okay, and next we have the seven spots, which the number seven Celtics. They, uh, I touched on it for a sec, but the Celtics beat the Wizards, and it wasn't ever close. Celtics dropped 118 on the Wizards against their even 100 to snag the number seven in the East. So it was pretty easy for them. And for the playoffs, they take on the number two ranked Brooklyn Nets who have the one-game lead already, but the Celtics did put up a fight in the Barclays Center, which is the next home, Nets home court, Saturday night with a final of 104-93. to Regardless, I think you can chalk this up as an easy series for the Nets, although I do see their awkward chemistry in the first half of games really playing a part down the stretch. It shouldn't affect them too much in round one because the Celtics are down Jalen Brown with that wrist injury, gone for the season. So chemistry or not, Harden, Kyrie, and... Durant are just too much to handle for Jason Tatum, Marcus Smart, and some pocket lint. Okay, 
So I guess <laughs> that was a little harsh, but we'll continue. Next team that grabbed their spot is the number seven Lakers. It's almost as if me not liking LeBron directly correlates to him playing insane, even though he's such an old bastard. He still hit that game winner against the Warriors to really sink that dagger in for that seven spot in the West. One-man team again. Warriors. Steph Curry. I know they have Draymond Green, but who is Draymond Green anymore, really? So, for the playoffs round one, the Lakers take on number two Phoenix Suns, who also won the first game in the series with the final 99-90. Devin Booker was absolutely shredding the Lakers' defense. If you watch that game, you know what I'm talking about. He was finding lanes. They were playing a two-man screen for the two pick-and-roll options, and D-Book was usually the one getting the screen set for him. So if they committed to him, he had two outlets on the rolls. It was it was poetry in motion. It was some fun basketball to watch. And even on the Lakers' end, with LeBron starting hot, dropping some highlights for ESPN to run all week, and then AD started to figure it out in the second half. He was a little, little rusty in the first. And uh, I think it's because they subbed him in at center. They also brought in Andre Drummond to help take some heat away from AD. But in the end, it really wasn't enough to stop D-Book and the Suns. So out of all the series besides the Hawks, I recommend this one, especially if you want some fundamental basketball with a chance to get chippy. Okay, so we just talked about the number eight and the number seven spots in the East and West. And then we talked about the respected matchups in the playoffs. So I figured it's a perfect time to get my 15 cents. I'm going to hit you all with an ad, and then we'll get back to some regular scheduled programming. To sure up the rest of the playoffs, we have quite a bit of matchups, and they're a lot closer, at least on paper. So I'll just go over the games played already, and then my series prediction. So for the number three Milwaukee Bucks versus the number six Miami Heat, this series has the Bucks up one game so far, and I see the Heat with Jimmy Butler taking a couple games. But in my opinion, for the series as a whole, my money is on Giannis and Middleton. That one's easy. We'll continue. Number four, New York Knicks. Number five, Atlanta Hawks. This one is this one gets a little a little meatier because I love D Rose as a basketball player, but I love the Hawks as my basketball team. Being from ATL, I got to rep my city. But also with the first game going to the Hawks off Trey's floater with .9 left, that just means the hype around this series is elevated for me. The Knicks have R.J. Barrett and Julius Randle, along with D. Rose and a couple other pieces. But I don't see the Knicks lasting in this series against the Hawks with Trey Young, Capella, Collins, Herder, Hunter, who else? Bog. We also have Magic City Lou Will doing his part for the A, whether it's keeping the bench warm or dropping a couple points or assists. So ultimately, the beginning of the series could be back and forth, but I think the Hawks outlast and advance to the next round. So for the next one, we got number three, Denver Nuggets versus number six, Portland Trailblazers. This series is touch and go for me. Commitment being the main issue because I had the Nuggets potentially sweeping the Trailblazers. But in game one, the Trailblazers dumped 123 to their 109, which is close on paper, but for playoff basketball, that's a pretty large margin. And it scares me because I have my money on the Nuggets going to the finals. But from the fan standpoint and not the betting side, it makes the series a lot more intense and fun, I guess. 
So maybe it lights a fire under the Nuggets to get them back on track or gives a gallon of confidence to the Trailblazers Trailblazers that resonates, hey, maybe we shouldn't be scared. Maybe they should be scared, which is good for the team's identity going forward and great for the fans watching at home. So playoff anything is just so much fun to watch. But last but not least, number four Lakers, number four LA Clippers, my bad, versus number five Dallas Mavericks have a lot of people talking, not because of the matchup itself, but because the Clippers, quote unquote, lost the last two games on purpose, end quote, unquote, so they didn't have to play the Lakers, which is just some media speculation, but it's the biggest news surrounding this series. It's all anybody wants to talk about. Anybody, I mean, Stephen A. Smith. So, onto the actual matchup where the Mavs got the better of the Clippers in the first game of the series by 10. For me, I think Luka is the future of the NBA, but I don't think his team has a future in this playoff bracket. Genuinely, I think the Clippers, led by Kawhi, take this series and move on, but I can't put it past the Mavs to take it the full series and give them every bit of juice they have. I just don't think it'll be enough in the end, in my opinion. Now that we got all the important stuff out of the way for the NBA playoffs, I figured we could skate into the NHL playoffs, if you see what I did there. (sighs) Yep, (laughs) I definitely cringe too, but that's what I get for talking to myself and my cat about sports. But regardless, the NHL is a little more advanced in their series with a couple teams that are already advancing. So I'll just try to fill you in on some close ones and some far ones and then the finished ones. So let's get into the series. So for the close ones, we have the Hurricanes and the Predators tied at 2-2, which I predict the Preds taking on that underdog mentality and really coming in with momentum. But they didn't get it going until games three and four, taking both of those to double OT and winning both. So it's played out so far to be a fun series with some big hits and a ton of pucks on net. By pucks on net, I mean, 26 total points just through the four games they played. So that's definitely some high-octane, adrenaline-filled, smash-mouth hockey. All anybody wants to watch. And the only other close one is the Canadians and Maple Leafs with their series split 1-1, which is another interesting one because the people that get paid to talk about it is... The people that get paid to talk about it said the Maple Leafs were going to sweep and needed to go ahead and focus on the next round. But the Canadians popped the Leafs in the nose and stole that first game whilst losing game two it remains to be seen they just caught them snoozing and boozing or if they have a sprinkle of that underdog in them so depending on the canadians i think these two series are the ones to watch even though they're pretty much all you can watch at this point in the first round keyword pretty much because there's still a couple series going on that are a lot closer to being over um So I'll touch on those and then clean up with the teams that have moved on. So to kick off the far ones, we have the Las Vegas Golden Knights and the Minnesota Wild series at 3-1. Las Vegas leads that one, which is a good example of what might happen to the Canadians. As I mentioned before, the Wild won game one and have been nearly shut out in the last three games since then. So it seems the Wild caught a hiccup in the Golden Knights flow, but let it go after the first win. And next up, we have the Florida Panthers and the Tampa Bay Lightning. The Lightning have a 3-1 series lead, with the Panthers' last hope being tonight to see if they can extend, but the outlook is dim for them. 
in my opinion, look to see the Lightning moving on. And I guess that can bring us to our last out-of-reach series, which is the Oilers and Jets. Sounds like a couple NFL teams, but I guess you could call this Canadian football on ice because it's not the Houston and New York, but it's the Edmonton Oilers. Edmonton Oilers and the Winnipeg Jets with the Jets holding a 3-0 lead. The Oilers fate decided tonight is it's pretty much already decided. It's a 3-0 lead. They're not looking too good. Uh, I have dang yeah it's not looking good. I had the Jets winning this one 4-0 sweep the series which is why these games are far games. But regardless, there's always that minuscule chance when they keep that mentality of new game each game, just have to win one and then can focus on the next day, they can extend. But for the most part, you can write these teams off. Which takes us into the teams who have clinched. We breeze through the far games rather quickly, so I'll just tell you who's finished and moving on and maybe a couple extra words about them. So for the teams that have moved on to round two, we have a light grouping with just two teams having finished their series already which is the Colorado Avalanche and the Boston Bruins. Shouldn't surprise anybody. These are two of the maybe three or four powerhouse teams in the NHL. Meaning the point I'm trying to make is this could be who we're watching in the finals in a few weeks. But that's about all I got for hockey and figured we could mosey on over to a little Julio talk and my own fantasy football rankings. And maybe we'll finish on the tee box with the PGA Championship and the hefty lefty. So it has to be a slightly broken record at this point, but hopefully you find humor in the fact that I'm flipping again and actually think they do trade Julio. Unfortunately, trying to balance my fandom and my journalistic integrity is something I'm still battling with, but Schefter and Rappaport both dropped the news today that he requested a trade a few months ago. The Falcons, having respect for one of their greats, he's been with us for 10 years granted his wish and are now fielding calls looking for a first and they're trying to avoid the NFC especially the NFC South which means the Saints Bucks and I forget who else probably doesn't matter but if the price is right they said he can go anywhere Shannon Sharp even ruined his friendship with Julio by calling him live on air and Julio said quote-unquote I'm out of there referring to Atlanta and also that he won't be going to the Cowboys ever. So, which just confirms the initial reports. And I think post-June 1st, we'll see Julio either go to the Colts or the Titans for the next chapter in his storied career. And to move on, before I start crying about Julio, it's it's a tough one. Like I, I've been watching this guy my whole life, pretty much. Pretty much the whole time I've been able to retain football knowledge, Julio's been my guy. So this is, it's a tough pill to swallow, and I don't want to see it happen, but I think it's i think it's pretty much set in stone at this point. <sighs> so I guess I can bring you guys my own fantasy rankings. Figured I could do a position group and a top 10 or 15, depending on the position. And today I figured I'd start off with some studs in the tight end department partly because the Falcons just snagged Pitts, obviously, and it seems the position is growing to have more of an impact in the fantasy world. So I guess without further ado, at, without further ado, here's the top 10. 
Boom! Pow! Zoom! All right. Time for the top 10 fantasy tight end position group. This is my group. We'll work on that intro a little bit. Some sounds and whatnot. Uh, Did a little acapella there. But I guess we can just get into it. For number one, I'm putting Kelsey. Travis Kelsey. Because he's Patrick Mahomes' scapegoat. And has been since he took the helm. Patrick Mahomes taking the helm. I mean, he is also a deep threat factor. Because he's such a gargantuan human. That DBs and safeties can't get up to contest any catches. So, look look to see Kelsey have pretty much the same exact season as he did last year, which was the number one tight end. So, for number two, I'd probably put a healthy Kittle in, who I just put a smidge above Waller, because if he stays healthy, he commands the grass in between the numbers, and he flattens anyone in the flat. And he's got sure hands with two tree trunks for legs. He also gets the volume because they have a hump-and-dump quarterback over there, so he's got a huge ceiling in fantasy. And that kind of brings me to my number three, who I snuck in, Waller, who is a great story of perseverance for the streets and addiction to the practice squad, to the third best tight end in the league. He's got all the tangibles, hands, height, speed. The only thing he has is holding him back is Derek Carr. Um, he has Derek Carr tossing the rock. So he has a game with 250 yards and three tutties, and then a couple games with two catches and 10 yards. So just be wary of that. Um, all of this barring a trade for Aaron Rodgers. If Aaron Rodgers go there, goes there uh, in a trade, I think Waller is definitely number one. Um, or it'll be a battle between him and Kelsey for sure. So TJ Hawkinson is coming in at number four for me, which probably surprises a few people. But the Lions just got Goff in that trade with L.A., who, I'll be honest, I don't have the best outlook, but I'm trying to be trying to be positive. So usually for a QB in a new home, they look for their biggest target and surest hands. And in this case, that guy is Hawkinson. So it's set up for greatness. And I just want to clarify, I think he'll be great. T.J. Hawkinson. Not the Lions or even Goff, for that matter, but the volume for him to have a great fantasy season is there. And I expect him to have the most, um, or at least to make the most of his opportunity. So number five and over is where it gets a little more opinion-based. So bear with me. I went ahead and tossed Mark Andrews into this spot because he had a down season last year, but still showed he's a dominant player. So I think he has a slight resurgence this year because with Lamar having another year of throwing under his belt, he should be a little more refined with those passes and with all the blitzes they throw at him. The safety valve will be in full use, that safety valve being Mark Andrews. So I guess I guess it wasn't too much of a that was pretty easy for me. But this is where it gets interesting. For number six, I'm going with Jaseki, who started slow last year, but really heated up and have to mention Tua coming into his second year. Should have a very, very positive effect for everyone on that offense. Receivers, running backs, everybody. Um this dude's fast. This dude's tall. He'll probably have a few fantasy game-winning breakaway tutties. Um, He's a fun one to have. I'm not sure how he'll do full season, but yeah, I I really like this guy. And number seven, I don't know if I can fully commit to him, but Ertz, 
I'm going to give Ertz this spot. Zach Ertz, Philadelphia Eagles. My personal opinion, I think he's lost a little bit of his fire, but not his talent. And with Goff leaving and the young gun, or not Goff, with um, Wentz. Wentz going to Indy, leaving, and the young gun Jalen Hurts taking the reins. It may have reignited that fire and showed him that all hope isn't lost. Not saying they'll magically negotiate a contract extension and all is well in the world, but I am saying they are built to win now. They got a good team. They just drafted another receiver. I believe it was Jalen Waddle or Devontae Smith. It was one of those. And just, uh, I guess all I can say is I believe Ertz is coming to play. Definitely coming to play. So, number eight is a touchy one as well because I'm not sure how he'll fit in until he plays a game and I can see the chemistry. But I'm going with Hunter Henry or, honestly, Jonu Smith, who is the other tight end. I'm really just talking about the New England Patriots' number one tight end, whether that be Hunter Henry or Jonu Smith. But in this case, I think it's Henry. So, we'll just talk about it as if Henry's number one. And he's the newly acquired piece of New England's offense. And I'm just unsure if Cam Newton is starting or the number 15 draft pick, Mac Jones, is going to take the reins. Regardless, I think both QBs aren't going to have a problem finding Henry in the flat because his appeal is mostly after the catch anyway. Like He's a, he's a catch-and-run type of guy. So for number nine, I'm going to go with Pitts. Even though he hasn't touched an NFL field yet, at least some of the hype around this guy has to be true. And with Matt Ryan, Ridley, Hurst, and Gage, Pitts might not have the volume these other guys have, but his big play potential is through the roof because the defenses have no idea who to single in on. Most likely it's going to be Ridley, which leaves Pitts open, or it's going to be gauge or they'll they'll put in Hurst like who knows Arthur Smith has has a plan I'm ready for it just know I have Kyle Pitts in at number nine um also with number eight as your number for a tight end you're telling the world not to let you pass their secondary or they'll be sorry and I can respect the hell out of that so last but certainly not least is big Bob Tunyon of the Green Bay Packers Another cool story of adversity uh, with a practice squad battle and one coach who gave him an extra rep and he's now being talked about as one of the best in the game right now. Had his true breakout last year with Rodgers and people were lucky to scoop him off waivers, I think, like week three or four. So this year, he's not making it to the waivers. Expect him to go around five, round five, round six because he's a route running tight end and deep routes at that which is always extremely dangerous for secondaries. And that should do it for my top 10 tight ends for the fantasy this year. So I guess we can get into the long-awaited WTF does that mean to pair with some PGA Tour major talk. And I guess without further ado, I present the what? Ah, we're not going to say that. The WTF does that mean segment almost slipped up. So, this week's WTF does that mean we're talking golf? So, I have to use my golf voice. Not for the whole thing. I'll probably just do it for the WTF because this is 
This is already irritating me, but are committed. This week, we're talking about slope rating. The book's definition is it's used to measure the difficulty of a course. A numerical value ranging from 55 to 155, with 113 being the rating of an average course. Now, to put that into perspective, the slope rating 55 to about 90-ish would probably be the easier and shorter courses. You would play like City Park Golf and Par 3 courses, and they can range from Par 54 to 68 for courses while a slope of 90 to 105, or 125 rather, are the average courses played by nearly everyone. And that, they have a few short holes in them, mostly two-shot holes, which we call par fours, and a few longer holes, ranging from par 68 to 73 for most courses classified in this rating. And then, any slope at 125 or above, we start talking about PGA course difficulty, which usually hovers around 130 or 135 for regular season tournaments, but majors are usually held to a higher standard around 140 to 145. And to even further that example, the ocean course at Kiowa Island is rated the maximum of 155, meaning that even the tour players have to fight to keep it under par. With the ocean course being played this past week as the home for the PGA Championship, we saw just how hard they really had to fight to keep it under par there. So, since this rating range is reserved for this PGA Tour, the par is usually played at around 70 to 71 for the courses. So hopefully, that simplified the game for you a little bit. And now we can talk about the show that Phil the Thrill gave us, and break down who was on his tail, and drop a few notable names. And scores just to give you an idea of how hard the ocean course was playing. So, let's get into it, and get rid of this godforsaken voice. Two words, hefty, lefty. Three words, fill the thrill. This guy, he was unstoppable this weekend. He was definitely activating the thumbs from winning his first major in eight years on the highest slope difficulty a course can be graded. And he did it in style. Battling the ocean course all day Sunday, he went in with the lead and started bogey, birdie, bogey, par, and I believe birdie, which honestly set the tone for him. Played eye for an eye, and he went toe-to-toe with Mother Nature because it seemed to me as if he felt he deserved this. You hit me, I hit you back. You could see it on his face, absolutely expressionless and focused on one thing, winning. The crowd flooding in behind him up the 18th, a sight to see. While he takes the deep breaths of victory, still not showing anybody a waiver in his gaze because he hadn't finished it yet and he's taken in the moment. And then walking up to his last putt and sinking his last eight years of hard work into a four-inch cup at 50 years old, along with him being such an ambassador for growing golf and just a good guy in general. It was, it was something that, it's, it's one of those moments that'll genuinely stick with me forever. Because I'll always remember perseverance. And I guess it has an impact on me. And Phil persevered against the ocean course. (laughs) But I guess to digress a little bit, I can bring up two players who had the chance to persevere coming into Sunday and potentially win. But uh, 
They didn't do that. So we'll get into that. We have Louis Oostazen. Hate this guy. Hate's a strong word, but I do not like this guy. He looks funny. He has a weird swing. He looks like he eats cheese for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. He looks like he smells bad. I it's I'll I'll digress, but regardless, he he tied for second with Brooks Kepka, who's one of my favorite golfers, and he was the one with the biggest chance, honestly, because he wins majors. That's like his his mantra. And when he was in second place coming into Sunday, it just it was it was almost written on the wall because Phil chokes and Kepka wins majors, but it didn't play out that way. Phil held in there. But they were the only real ones with chances at taking it from Phil, especially since both of these players are used to windy link-style courses from their time on the European Tour. But even with that experience, they ultimately played similar rounds, which basically kept them all square with no gain on Phil. seemed as if Phil had two things no one else had, and that was approaches from the middle of almost every fairway. No one was doing that. makes golf a lot easier when you get in the middle. And the most controlled spin on those approach shots into the green he was he was unstoppable it gave him birdie looks to minimize damage but um (laughs) i guess that segues us into our next thing which there's a few people who unfortunately accrued maximum damage out there so i'll just drop a few notables and maybe a couple roasts and then it's time for you guys to get out of here so in perfect winners of losers fashion we got the power keg John Daly leading us off. <laughs> he came in with a smooth 27 over, using his uh, lifetime admittance to play this hell course. A uh, little side note, what's cool about that 27 over is he missed the cut. So that's just two days. Not all four days of this tournament. He just played two days. And I guess next we got Cameron Champ, young kid. This is tough for him. He's going to beat himself up, but plus 15. It just makes it just makes them human, for me at least. And then we got Kevin Na at plus 13. Guess he, guess he wasn't walking too many putts in this week. And uh, next, Kisner, Kucher, and Max Homa all at plus 10. That's just, that, I don't know, that's funny to me. Kisner, I really didn't expect to do too well. He's more of just like a win every two years type of guy. Kucher... I kind of did expect him to play well. And Homa, he just won a few weeks ago. So what's cool is all these guys missed the cut, and they've all won on tour. Like, all these guys. So that just helps put even more perspective how hard this course is. So finishing up with golf talk, this course played unforgiving. And I'm sure after some of these scores, the players' feelings are mutual. So now I have a little recap for y'all, and then I'll send you on your way. So we went over a smidge of baseball standings with a little home run and no-hitter talk and a load of opinions about the NBA playoffs and then into the close, far, and finish series with the NHL playoffs, round one. Then we, unfortunately, jumped into the Julio-confirmed on the trade block. <sighs> Still sore for me. As I, I, I don't know. Lifelong fan. This is, it's just tough. I, I want him to stay, but I don't think he will. I don't want him to go to the Colts. Um, if he does go, just please be the Titans. 
And then we went into my fantasy top 10 tight ends. That's something new. Um, I figured we'd do like a position group every week and like a top 10 or 15, depending on like the depth at that position. So we also learned what slope rating is and what that number actually means. Um, I think I learned exactly what it means. Um, something I've heard and read about, but have never understood. Um, it's just one of those things, but now we know. And then we talked about how Phil the Thrill was for the weekend. Talked about his closest competitors and then his farthest competitors. So that was it for the show. Um, Again, you guys are awesome for sticking around this long. Um, I really do appreciate everything that you guys are listening continuously. And I can't thank you guys enough. I really, I genuinely can't. And if you guys have any questions, want to talk about the pod, um, I'm very open. Don't call me, but text me on Twitter, tweet me, Instagram me. You can even find me on Facebook, my personal Facebook. Um, It's public. Not sure if I should have said that, but Facebook, you can find me there. You can find me everywhere. Um, Come by, say hey, let me know how the pod was. And, or if not, I just appreciate you listening. So again, thank you. I know it's still friends and family and maybe a few other listeners, but, um, hope you guys learned something. I'll see you guys next week.